I'm Aidan Lang, the General Director. Now, following on from Marja Frigo, we have Maria Stuarda, or Mary Stewart, as we are calling it here. Operas get planned some time in advance, but by one of those quirks of happy fortune, all matters Tudor seem to be all of a vogue at the moment on television with Tudors and Rain and, and Wolf Hall. So we seem to be quite current by programming Mary Stewart at this time. Why are they popular today? There's always been a vogue for historical drama, but Tudor history was, to put it mildly, complicated. With all the nefarious goings-on, the murders, the assassinations, the, the executions, there's a delicious bloodthirstiness. They feed to our sense of delight in all things horrific, but it's codified in some way by being within the historical context. But, you know, politics doesn't really change. I, yes, our politicians don't assassinate their rivals, but a lot of our drama today is premised on those extremes. Stories of extreme passion and extreme motivation. So this is an opera whose genesis is history, with real historical characters on the stage, filtered through a play by Schiller where the climactic scene is something which we know historically did not happen. Despite Mary's requests, Elizabeth never granted an interview with her, so the two characters never met. And then filtered through an Italian composer which inevitably brings in a level of emotion, which conditions our response. Does it matter that this piece is ultimately historically inaccurate, and yet it is a historical opera? I don't think it does. The historical details don't matter because we're not doing history. History is complex and doesn't make cogent drama. The history is fascinating, but if we try to tell it, it would leave the complexity of Figaro far behind. <laughs> so we get important historical details, like the Babington plot in which Mary was compromised, the, the plot to assassinate Elizabeth, is just thrown away in, in, almost in a one-liner. It's not that Donizetti's audience knew their Tudor history, but the intensity of, ah, oh, remember the Babington plot, is enough to spur them to understand that something happened. You don't go to the theatre really for a history lesson. You have a sense of the murkiness of Tudor politics, an intuitive feeling for the importance of the events without the need to know the historical detail. The combination of truth, of strong drama serving up a political debate filtered by introducing an emotional level, which, which opera inevitably does, I think gives us a beautiful fusion. Mary Stuart brings in two powerful women, two queens, two different faiths and pits them against each other. So it becomes, at its heart, a very powerful conflict between these two women. The love interest, Lester, takes a secondary role. We're more used to love being the primary driver. Here, it is a drama of conflict between two strong women. This opera, the emotional appeal lies in the difference in characters between Queen Elizabeth and Mary, Queen of Scots. In this period, Europe was in a state of extreme tension on all fronts. We feel those tensions today in the world we live in. And these were very real threats. Elizabeth's father, Henry VIII, formed the Church of England, a break away from the Catholic Church of Rome. It's not just a, a battle of faiths. It, it's a battle of faiths locked in 
with a political battle. The opera works both at the emotional level of the conflict of these two characters, but has a, a far, far greater significance and, and a resonance. And I think today that resonance carries forward. Countries and the ideology ruling that country goes beyond its national borders. And we only need to look to Syria to see that in practice today. So politics and drama and politics feeding the drama is intensely potent. It came a bit of a shock the first time I looked at this piece seriously as a Brit to see our glorious Queen Elizabeth portrayed in such a strident and unsympathetic manner. But of course it makes logical sense from the point of view of the creators of this piece. You know, we are used to glorifying Elizabeth as the patron of Shakespeare, the defender of the country from the Spanish Armada. And what this play and this opera cause one to do is to look at it from the outside point of view, from the European standpoint. It's hardly surprising that to a Catholic Italian, the Catholic Mary, Queen of Scots, Mary Stuart, is perceived as the sympathetic character. Any drama is based on conflict. There's two sides to every coin. There is not necessarily a good guy and a bad guy. What this drama does is actually present both sides. You know, Elizabeth had very pressing needs to behave in the way she did, and she sat on the Mary question for 19 years. This was not a spur-of-a-moment decision. Mary was far from blameless herself. She was complicit in her husband's death. She was, in all probability, involved from her prison in a plot to assassinate Elizabeth, Elizabeth didn't want to bring about the execution of her cousin, but Elizabeth is surrounded by courtiers who remind her of her duty as a monarch as opposed to her feelings as a human being. And again, that's an eternal and highly potent part of any great drama, the conflict between duty and one's own personal feelings. Elizabeth is, there's a side of her which is a tragic character because she cannot do what she would want to do. From Mary's perspective, it's an extraordinary life she had. Her father died when she was five days old, was officially Queen of Scotland without really knowing much about it, and spent her her youth uh, in France. She would have been brought up in the belief that the rightful way of life was the Catholic faith, not the Protestant faith, which to the Catholics was viewed as a convenience for Henry VIII to annul his marriage to Catherine of Aragon. So an entire new church is formed on the whim of the ruling monarch in order to allow his marriage to Anne Boleyn, Elizabeth's mother. Mary would have been raised with a, a fundamental belief that this was wrong, that Catholicism was the true guiding principle on which a country should be founded. We are so used now to religious conflict losing all sense of its true purpose. I think of the the conflict all those years in Northern Ireland between the Catholics and the Protestants, where it was not about the faiths. The the conflict just fueled its own momentum, and people lost track, really, of what was at root. This opera has three male characters. Each has a different purpose, each based on history. Lord Cecil is there really as the political conscience to guide Elizabeth. 
what is the correct decision from a political point of view, from the position of the ongoing power in England. Lord Talbot's function in the drama is really the male working for Mary and sympathetic on that cause. He's also a man of, of reason. Talbot is trying to broker a peaceful solution, which, if at all possible, will not result in bloodshed. I mean, he, he, he doesn't succeed. And, of course, the third character is the Earl of Leicester, who, not said he has created as a sort of love interest between the two women, That's an operatic device designed to bring out an emotional response in the audience. And that, in many ways, is a nice segue to the role of the Schiller play in this piece. You know, this opera is based around a very important play by Friedrich Schiller at the beginning of a romantic movement. His play is a difference between Mary, who is portrayed more in terms of her emotions and feelings, and Elizabeth, who seems to be of the older 18th century Age of Enlightenment view of reason, of of political calculation, as opposed to the free-feeling Mary. And it's almost like the, the conflict between these two characters is not only a historical clash, but a clash between an old order and the new, an 18th century worldview and a new modern romantic worldview the one where science and logic and order prevail, and the other where emotion and individuality of thought prevail. And that actually segues nicely into an opera. Donizetti's portrayal takes Elizabeth to almost a character whose struggle is to balance between love and duty, losing reason through an emotional response to losing Lester. Whereas when we see Mary first, she's allowed out of Fotheringay into the park, and nature and, 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 and the sky feed her imagination. Our first glimpse of her is of a romantic character, I mean in terms of the romantic movement, whereas we first see Elizabeth in a political context, always with the burden of duty and in conflict with her emotions, whereas Mary is portrayed as being a freer spirit. And of course in opera we're always going to side with the free spirit, <laughs> rather than the person driven by duty of conflict and love. We see this best in the great climax to Act One, the conflict between Mary and Elizabeth. Mary, first of all, takes the advisable line of being subservient, but her mistake is to allow her emotions to get <laughs> to get in the way of common sense. And when she speaks what she really believes, rather than codify it in some neat political way, that invokes Elizabeth's rage, and that is her downfall. We're following Mary Stewart fresh after Marriage of Figaro, which is a play, an opera, very much geared around plot and, and action and events, whereas the dramaturgy of a bel canto opera is very different, and that's because the prime driver to our experience is, as the name suggests, bel canto, beautiful singing, fine singing. But of course, bel canto is more than that. Yes, the vocal line is prime, and the vocal abilities of the performer are very much part of our experience of the piece. But that doesn't exist in a vacuum. The vocal writing and the way it is carried out by the performer is part of a musicodramatic idea 
the act of singing, the intensity, the visceral appeal of singing is designed to heighten the dramatic moment. The great writers in the bel canto tradition always understood that extreme vocal demands had a dramatic purpose, an expression of the extreme emotion going on within them. So this isn't just a glorified concert with nice frocks and, and spectacular voices. This is a very intense drama where that almost primal appeal of the, of, of, of the human voice is given a higher level in, of importance compared, say, to Figaro. The extreme duress of the characters and, and the situation is the prime driver to that evening. This is more than just a, a singing competition. This really is using the human voice as an expressive tool to propel an intense drama. What's interesting about this work is how contained the vocal exhibitionism is. The discipline of, of Schiller's play maybe subconsciously drove Donizetti to a disciplined application bel canto technique. We think of the classic mad scene from Lucia where the character has lost their reason but it's given a very long and extended uh, manifestation of this far beyond the call of reasonable dramaturgical structure. I would argue that that balance between the appeal of the performer and the dramatic moment is probably slightly out of kilter in Lucia. While we're being dazzled, we lose track for a short moment of situation. Whereas here in Mary Stewart, the vocal demands are always keyed in with the dramatic demands of the scene. I don't think you come away from Mary Stewart thinking, weren't those two singers so magnificent, to quite the degree you do when you come away from great performance of Sonambula or from Lucia di Lammermoor. Maybe this has fueled the popularity of Lucia compared to an opera like Maria Stuarda, although what's interesting is how this and Anna Bolena and Roberta Devereux have suddenly come into currency. All three of the operas have been played very successfully, sometimes as a trilogy, sometimes individually in other theatres around the States. Dallas has a, a different cycle of the three operas, and the Met are playing all three this season. They come across as very strong plays which appeal to our audiences today. We have um, Seattle Opera debuts for Serena Fanocchia as Maria. She has done this role before. She's one of those singers who is a really selfless singer. She throws herself totally into the role, has, has a wonderful vocal technique and wonderful range of vocal colours, which this role needs. She's capable of singing with great delicacy and beauty and also providing at the same time the necessary strength of character and of command of a vocal line when needed. Her foil is Mary Elizabeth Williams as Elizabeth, admired and popular singer here at Seattle Opera. Elizabeth needs a kind of icy clarity to its singing, and I think this is a role which suits Mary Elizabeth extremely well. We're going to have no problems at all with her force of personality that we know, but you can't, in this sort of music, you can't get by just on that. It needs a precision and brilliance of singing, which, which she will certainly bring to the role. 
Of course, we have two casts, and it was therefore a delicious challenge to find singers of the same vocal ability for our alternate casts. And we are, again, very, very fortunate in Kerry Alkmaar and Joyce Elkhorey to have two singers who, well, I think, are, are different temperaments, but each totally in command of the vocal requirements of, of the role. One of the fascinations for some of our audiences who like to see both casts and see how different they are and yet totally valid in terms of their both vocal and physical manifestations. The role of Lester is shared by John Tessier, who of course we saw most recently as Nadia in The Pearl Fishers, and a young singer making his uh, Seattle opera Deborah Andrew Owens. Andrew is a very exciting singer who specializes in, in Rossini. John, as we saw in his beautiful, elegant, and lyrical Nadia, brings maybe more of that quality to the role. It's a fascinating role because it's so pivotal. The character kind of sits on the cusp of moving from what one could slightly tongue-in-cheek call the Don Ottavio tenor positioning as kind of decent chap towards the more heroic role for the tenor, which we see in later, it's only in Verdi. In later Italian opera, the tenor becomes the driving force. Here he's nearly there, but not quite. The other two male roles... Michael Todd Simpson playing Lord Cecil was last seen with us in the console. And that role needs someone as well as having the vocal presence to convey a, a minister of state. Also, the character is wily and clever and therefore requires a singer who is alert to the textual nuances in order to bring out tent of a character with relatively limited vocal opportunity. Lord Torbert, played by Weston Hurt, we saw earlier this year as Nabucco, requires singing, maybe slightly more gentle singing, more use of legato, and also a more sympathetic character, one who, who's playing a fine line politically in, in the political chess game, which is this piece. It's always a great pleasure to welcome back Carlo Montanaro. This music is in, in his blood, as we saw from Nabucco, he understands the pulse of a drama. He's a very much what I call a singer's conductor, by which I mean that he finds a beautiful balance between accompanying, allowing the individuality of a singer, and yet being there to support them. I know all the, the singers really enjoyed working with him in Nabucco. An unexpected plus out of that configuration we did with Nabucco by placing the singers forward and the orchestra behind was to see how a conductor really moulds a performance. So you could see very clearly how he accompanies. He, he brings his incredible enthusiasm and passion to it, but that doesn't get in the way and is actually always serving the drama and serving the vocal line. We made the decision not to create a new Seattle Opera production of this work, but to rent one. This one from Minnesota was not the only one available. What I liked about Kevin Newbury's production was the way he and his design team have managed to bring what I call a visual rhythm to the piece. Any drama has a beginning, middle, and an end, and a good production steers you from one phase to the next. And I felt that Kevin does this especially well. Through his scenic approach, we get the sense of these events unfolding inexorably. And I felt that was important, rather than a production which sat still for moments and then moved in measured steps. This one has a movement and propulsion, which I think greatly helps the evening.